When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. All right, welcome back to Film Study as we're going to look at another preseason game. This time it's game number two of the, uh, I guess, shortened preseason. Ken Kuzak, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing not bad at all. Uh, we've got Josh Reed joining us today. It should be fun. Another Josh on the show. Josh, welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, uh, and you're with Baltimore Beatdown, right? Why don't yep. we get all your plugs out right at the top and your Twitter handle and everything so people can follow while they listen. Uh, yeah, so my uh, Twitter handle is uh, Josh, Josh Reed 907 And, uh, yeah, right for Baltimore Beatdown. Been there since about January. So I'm having a whole lot of fun creating a lot of content over there. All right. Always all a right. great conversation when Josh is on the show. Yeah. Now, guys, um, we're going to talk about win number 19 in a row, which is fun because tomorrow I get to talk about loss number 19 in a row for the Orioles. <laughs> so uh, win 19, even in meaningless games, it sounds a whole lot better. But um, you guys got to fill me in because I don't get these preseason games down here in Florida. Are you entertained by them this year? I mean, I personally oh, yeah. am. Yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. I think both of us kind of live to evaluate young talent. And, you know, this is, this is a lot of the time you get to see the players who are on the margin of the NFL and really competing for jobs. It's, I think it's exciting football. I, I like the way the Ravens play the games to win them. And I think it, it puts them, their players, in interesting positions to, to succeed. Yeah, the thing about local broadcasts. 
Oh, uh, so I didn't get to watch the local broadcast because I had to. I had to bootleg stream it. I got the uh, Panthers broadcast. So then Steve Smith and the guy who had they on had, they had um, on their broadcast. They weren't they weren't doing too hot. They actually aired the um, their trial runs for their intro multiple times, and I'm like, do they know that they're doing this? People can see this. So it was it was it was, it was pretty rough. But um, I, I, me personally, I do enjoy preseason games. Like Ken said, I like seeing like the marginal players, the guys who are fighting for roster spots. What I like the Ravens is what they especially do was they don't just have a bunch of undrafted rookies and you know, lower round draft picks. They have a nice blend of, you know, those lower round undrafted guys, as well as like veteran, veteran free agents, you know, who are, we've been around the league for a little bit and could possibly even contribute to a team. So I like, I like how they have a nice blend instead of just one or the other. A great, great deep talent searching uh, personnel department. Uh, they, they do a great job with the draft, but they also do a great job with their small school scouting, which gives them a, a big heads up on the UDFAs and the guys they like that are on the street that may have been circulating through another team. A lot of running backs, for example, in the past few years, the Ravens have picked up from other teams that they liked them a little more than the other team liked them because they were willing to cut them. And, uh, and they made good stylistic matches for what the Ravens do on offense. So uh, I'm with you. I really love it. A, a, extraordinary dominant defensive efforts, just to go through over a few metrics, 43 defensive snaps in the game, five straight three and out drives in the second half. I've never seen that before. Uh, 18 yards allowed in the second half. Uh, just a, a thoroughly dominating uh, exhibition of defensive depth. Yeah, and that's that's really been the key to the Ravens' uh, preseason win streak. It's been that defensive depth, especially you know that defensive depth, giving the offense so many chances at the ball again, kind of gives the offense a chance to kind of get into a groove. The, you know, the more bites that you have at the apple, the more you can you know uh, get the job done. So I definitely think that's been the key to the winning streak. Yeah, I I, I do too. I say that all the time, of course, and and. Uh, one of the other things that really strikes me from this time is just how well they've been using rotation. That on the defensive line, outside linebacker, I don't see every team doing this. Although it looked like Carolina did some of it. I don't see every team rotating after the ones all the way to the end of the game on their twos and threes. You know, sometimes you'll have a four-man defensive line and they're used to playing every snap on, on, in some uh, cities. And they may play the same guys pretty much every, every down the rest or for four drives and then another set of guys for four more drives. So you have a distinct set of twos and set of threes playing together. And I can see certain reasons to do that. Maybe it's a little bit better for your twos to play with the other twos. But if you want to, you know, present a consistent, rested front, the way the Ravens do it, I really love is, is they, uh, they just keep rotating their guys series after series, play after play with the substitutions they do, and it, it creates a, a great rested defense. Yeah, and when you watch the other preseason games, you can kind of see like 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 what you said. Since the Ravens rotate, their guys don't get burnt out. Like you'll see some of the like like I was watching the Browns and the Giants earlier today, and uh, Joe Thomas brought up on the broadcast how um, you know the, the the guys from the Giants were kind of getting tired, or the, you know the, the twos and the, the threes and the fours because they playing pretty much the, the entire second half exclusively, or into the first half, or you know the bottom end of the first half because the Ravens rotate those guys on like dog tired at the end of the game so they can have those dominant defensive efforts yeah kind of a weird thing that people think it's important to successively retire players and that you know players like to be on a t-shirt in the sideline because it means hey I'm not a I'm not a number three or number four I'm not a grocery bagger who'd be out there in the second half uh, but I think it's it's uh, you know a player like Justin Matabike he's clearly made the team he's he's one of the team's young and upcoming star players He's right in there on the last series of the game, and I think that's great. 
Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I took that out of my notes. I was like, wow, Justin's been playing pretty much the entire game. And I know they could, like, that may have been because they wanted to get an extended look at him or because Crawford wasn't available to go this game. Yeah. But it was just great to see both him and uh, Roger Washington. They were, I mean, I know we're going to get to it in a second, but those two guys, whew, they were they were playing their butts off tonight. Oh, last Let's night. Let's jump right in and talk about the defensive line. And uh, the Monstars played one series. I didn't think they played badly. Of course, they, they had a real short field to defend when they did it. Uh, and they did so. Wolf made a nice play inside the 10-yard line to get a, get a stop. Uh, Campbell had some good penetration on that same play, even though he came up just a little bit short on the ankle. Uh, but uh, g- good plays there. But let's, let's talk about the other defensive linemen, because those are the guys. And you're the guest. Why don't you start with a guy you liked or, or want to talk about? And I'll, uh, I'll pick one next. Oh, the guy we were just talking about, um, Justin Matabike, man, that guy was flying around like I was. He was almost like looked like an outside linebacker out there, just like flying from sideline to sideline. Whenever the wherever the play was going, he was flying over there. I can't remember um exactly what play it was, but there was a play I think to like a receiver or something on like on like the left the left offensive sideline where he just flew across the field and just like tackled, like threw the guy out of bounds. I was like, you don't usually don't see like defensive linemen, you know, having hustle plays like that. You even saw some plays like that from um, Roger Washington too. But Justin Matabike, man. He was just like relentless all night long. I love to see his, his effort, his motor, and his impact. Yeah, I certainly he's he's been great this preseason. Um, I I thought that uh, he played well again, but uh, the guy I want to talk about is Broderick Washington, who was, for my mind, on probably on the outside of the bubble looking in when this preseason started. He had a very big game in Week One. Had a hand in two more tackles in this one. They were both defensive wins. One was on a on a nice run pass, who ended up being a tackle for loss, and another one was on a uh, screen pass where he chased the guy down the line of scrimmage, made the tackle. Uh, impressive play on, in, in both cases. He's been doing it all this preseason, and and I like the fact that he's he's doing it uh, at various times of the game. His screen pass win was in the second quarter, midway through. So it's not like the forty nine. Sorry, the uh, Panthers were down to their last set of players at that point. Yeah, and because they didn't have a whole lot of bodies to go, and especially after the you know the Monsters played their you know one and only series, that meant guys like you know Roger Washington and Justin Matabike and Justin Ellis, who had a solid you know decent game, those guys were going to be playing a whole lot. All right, yeah, and I I just really thought Roger had a great game from really start, like I said start to finish, and um he's like I, I'm not gonna lie, I had him on the outside you know one on the roster. I thought he was firmly on the roster bubble, probably gonna be one of the first round of cuts kind of guy, not you know from ninety to eighty five, but you know when it, when the final cuts came down, I thought he was going to be among the first guys to go. Um, like I said, but um, I've just been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from him, not just in training camp, but especially during the preseason. Uh, you love it when guys can transla- translate what they've been doing in practice to games, and then he's been he's been balling out these past two weeks. Okay, I think I brought up Washington, so it's your turn to bring up the next guy. Um, so, um, I guess... So, are we counting Christmas with the with the defensive linemen or with the outside linebackers? I I, I have them with the outside linebackers, but you can talk okay. about them whenever you want. Uh, well, I'm cool. I'm cool just going going to Justin Ellis right now. I'm um, Justin Ellis. He had, so he had a um, solid game. Um, like I said, he, 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 I don't think he can fly around with the other guys because he's a lot heavier than the other guys. But I did see some good hustle plays out of him. Um, there was the time that Hayes, uh, I think, flushed uh, Walker out of the pocket, or maybe it was Greer, and then he, um, uh, uh, Justin Ellis got a tackle for like a, like a two yard gain. So he was in on a lot of tackles. Um, he, you know, he's played decent um there in the middle there were a couple times he kind of kind of got barreled a little bit um on some on some run blocks but um overall he had a decent game i thought we saw some things we normally see from justin ellis he he got good push on a double team which is something that 
I don't always associate with him. I think he has a lot of trouble anchoring against uh, against doubles uh, some of the time. It showed up more last season when he's having to play more snaps. I think Justin Ellis is still kind of showing me that if you, if you, if the workload is manageable, and it certainly was in that second half, and and you know really really for a lot of the first half as well, with the way people were rotating, then he'll be fine in terms of his ability to stand up to double teams. It's only when teams can do what the Ravens did to the Panthers last night and basically stay on the field for an extended period that Justin Ellis gets in trouble when he's uh, when he's asked to play a lot of snaps. Yeah, I definitely think he played better in the, in the second half than he did in the first, just because, like I said, he had a, it was a pretty much a limited pitch count because of the way the defense as a whole was playing. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the outside linebackers. So, so it's sad for Crawford that he missed this game because a, a guy who certainly is in position to win a job and, and in direct competition with Ellis, who you know was healthy and played a good game, but that's the way this is going in the preseason is the guys who are there are, are playing very well and with the exception of that first game and some offensive linemen who missed the game, and I thought they might have actually gained ground by missing it, uh, you know, a lot of the other players on defense, if they miss any time, they're, they're losing ground to the other players because they're playing really great. Uh, Crawford, uh, you know, a, a shame that he missed the game, but uh, he played so well in that first game. I think he's still in the competition. He just, it's, this third game is going to be very important for him, whether it's playing for Baltimore this year, uh, making a practice squad spot, which I think he's got sewed up. Or, or more likely playing for somebody else. I definitely think if he comes back in the third game and has like a big game, he could possibly beat out Ellis for for a spot. Like I said, because Ellis hasn't he's been solid, but he hasn't been spectacular. And that first game, well, uh, um, blanking on his name, we were just talking about him. Crawford. Crawford, yes. Yeah. Aaron Crawford in the first game, he was he was, he played he played really well. I think with the big third game, um, he could possibly edge out um uh, Jelly Ellis for a ro- spot on the roster. It makes sense because he certainly, from a GM's perspective has the additional uh, you know, years under team control that make him very attractive and, and uh, cheap for four years as opposed to cheap for one in Ellis's case. So uh, that's understandable. Well, let's move on. Um, I, I'll, I'll, you, I'll let you name the first outside linebacker we talk about. Um, the fifth round pick out of Notre Dame, Dalen Hayes, was balling out on Saturday night, and I love what I saw from him, both from you know defending the run and especially he generated a whole lot of pressure last night too. So I just love what I saw from him on all fronts. Yeah, terrific game. Didn't have a lot of snaps in this game, by the way. I think he's only about 15 total snaps. But he uh, beat the left tackle, Tread Scott, for a flush. Uh, that ended up being a uh, pass left for zero. By the way, anytime you can flush the quarterback left, particularly when you're coming from the offensive left side, which is kind of difficult to do because you got to have an inside move usually to do that in order to flush the quarterback to the left. And it, it's it just... It, they're much more valuable to flush the quarterback left than, than to flush the quarterback right because of the troubles right-handed quarterbacks have getting their body set again. They did happen to get the pass off. It did happen to be complete, but it was a minus two plus two con, uh, completion, as I recall. So minus, two yards behind the minus, line of scrimmage plus two yards of yak. Uh, not, not an exciting play, certainly. Um, he did make a really good gap shift. I don't know if you saw this play, but they had two double teams inside. Both worked up perfectly to combination blocks in level two where Harrison and Queen were both taken care of, as was the defensive tackle on his side. I forget which, which player it was. Might have been you know, Swan or whoever it might have been. And Hayes jumped over a gap and was able to make that tackle when the field was open in front of him, in front of the runner, uh, because, because uh, uh, Harrison and Queen were both involved. So uh, that was a great play. Uh, he also had that fast QH uh, at the end of the at the end of the game for a drive-ending incompletion uh, against Montez Ivy. So 
real good, uh, uh, real good series for him. Uh, real good uh, set of plays for him. And I'm with you. He was one of my MVPs for the night. I'll give that away as a spoiler here. How about we talk about Justin Houston? Uh, he didn't play a lot of plays. I don't know if it was three plays, four plays, uh, but he was in there. Uh, what what gets me about how he's been in camp so far is that the other young players are absolutely spewing about him. They're 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 so effusive about you know what this guy has done for them, and and I, that can only mean to me that he's really taking a little bit of individual time to try and talk to them, or maybe maybe in the he's a he's a real good guy in the position room. But any way you look at it, I think it's value added relative to what they were getting for that very cheap contract. Uh, most definitely. I, I just think the biggest thing he can bring outside of, you know, obviously pass for us is that wealth of knowledge and, um, and veteran insight, you know, that he can pass on to guys like Owe and, and, and Hayes. And I think Hayes, I don't know, Hayes might have been, been, been his, his best student right now because that guy is just balling out in the um, preseason. But the thing that kind of struck me about um, the way Houston, like when Houston came out, I was like, he's playing on first down. Like, like that was like the first note that I took was like Justin Houston's on first down. I thought you know they're gonna have Pernell McPhee and then and then re- kind of rotate those guys in for like the first series or two. So I, I thought that was kind of okay. Pernell, you know, Justin Houston on first down. Okay, you know, I guess you know, it, you know, first time as a Raven. So I was like, hey, fifty's out there. So let's, that's cool. I I think they were just giving him the start. Honestly. Yeah, I, don't I think, think so too. Necessarily, I, I think they even. Honestly, if he's only going to play three plays, I don't know that it really matters that they get him in three third down situations. Let's wait and put him in, you know, kind of thing. They're, re- they're looking to retire him pretty quickly and and, uh, and get that done. The other thing about that is that no matter what we're seeing or we think we're seeing in this preseason, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of scheme that Wink has and certainly that Roman has as well. I mean, we saw the same old tired boots all, all night long from the offense. I mean, it was just boot, 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 boot all night. And no one was being fooled by it. The edge defender on the backside basically was was not fooled. Maybe one time he was, but all the throws went to went to level zero. They didn't they didn't go they didn't make the the any of the deep throws. And you're supposed to read from from top to bottom, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. You yeah. read the read the first. I mean, it's just the most tired play. And all I can think is, you know, this is this is this is the kind of thing that they just want to keep the book closed. They they want to keep some uh, uh, some tricks off the table here. Yeah, I definitely think it was like basic. Pass, like, you know, passing and running plays for the Ravens. You know, they did some of their scheme-specific things on offense, but um, like I said, I, I didn't. I don't think they definitely opened up the playbook. I know this is a defensive uh, preview, uh, you know, not preview, but uh, recap. But like I said, um, I was a little, I was a little disappointed. I, I was expecting them to, you know, air it out a little bit more. Like even if you were just going to go like, you know, basic spread and you kind of spread them out a little bit. But then again, you got to have the offensive tackles that can block for that, which they do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, we. Uh... We did get a surprise last night on that thing, but go on. I named Houston. You're next on a, for another outside linebacker. Uh, Tyus Bowser. Tyus Bowser played pretty good. Um, like, it's like the one, like bad, I guess, bad play I, I got off from him was the the, the missed tackle on Tommy Tremble to led to like a game for like 12 yards. But other than that, like I said, he was he was flying around pretty good. Uh, had some good plays in coverage and, and at the line of scrimmage as well. It looked like the, the really good play I saw from Bowser was one where Smith ended up getting the sack, and I'll bring him yeah. up next anyway. But but you saw Bowser was directly in the line on that screen pass. That you know that pass was intended for is Terrace Marshall. Yeah, look, that, that that was like like almost like vintage Terrell Suggs. If only Greer had actually thrown the ball, he could have got up and you know picked it. But that like this taking that screen away set up the sack for Smith, which I um I, I thought was great. I loved I love to see stuff like of, that. It's kind of a two way problem for him. So the quarterback had to make a quick decision. So that 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 wasn't the problem I'm talking about. But he's either got to loft the ball a little higher, in which case he was, I think he was might give him the cornerback a chance. 
or he's going to have to you know, throw a line drive and try and get it by Bowser, which has proven to be pretty difficult the last few years. And so you know, either way, he had a little bit of risk involved uh, in terms of, of how high does he need to throw that ball over Bowser to really make it work. But, uh, but I, 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 it, I looked at it about five times and I'm like, why is the quarterback eating the ball? Can't he get any kind of velocity on the ball that would allow him to get that ball over Bowser? And then I, you know, I guess I finally figured it had to be the cornerback. I'm about to say, maybe he just like, look, I've seen better quarterbacks to me try to get a ball around Bowser. So let me just, you know, eat. Like, I'd rather eat a sack than throw it to an interception where a guy has nothing but green grass in front of him. So you never know. You think they got him? I mean, the Panthers are an NFC team. Do you think they're that plugged into, if you see 54, don't throw the football? I mean, so there's like, they, you had a two day to joint practice. So you got to see, you know, what the kind oh, of player. Yeah, you get yeah. to see the kind of player this guy is. Like, okay, they drop this guy a lot. He has sticky hands. And, you know, if you're, I guess, knowledgeable player on the league you watch film on some of the top you know guys in the in, in the league especially if you know if you're looking to pick apart coverages you see a top cover man so like let me not i don't know i don't know how, how much deep diving you know will greer was doing into this um into the game plan for this but i know he's probably saw tyus bowser make a few plays in coverage and um on wednesday and thursday and was like let me not let me just eat this sack or try to throw the ball away all right well, we kind of gave it away on chris smith so let's talk about him next uh, love him in terms of his flexibility to play inside, outside. He's definitely a guy very much like Ward in a way who's comfortable playing on the inside. You wouldn't want him there every down. You wouldn't want him there as your every down, you know, five tech or, or, you know, let alone three tech. He could probably finish a game if you're in emergency, but, but you wouldn't want him there regularly. You'd, you'd, you'd want to play him only there on an obvious passing down. And he's been just playing obvious passing situations pretty much for the Ravens. He's been in uh, not really on early downs very much. He's kicked inside and I've liked that. And, uh, you know, another game of pretty substantial contributions here, including the sack. Yeah, he's kind of like the preseason Pernell McPhee, if you if, if you will, as far as like, you know, kicking inside, rushing from the, from the interior. And I've, I, I'm not going to lie, I thought he was just, you know, just a guy, you know, like a, like a Jag when they first signed. Like, okay, he's a camp body, take some reps, you know, in, in practice or whatever, you know, the precursor to the Justin Houston signing. But I've been pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from him. And um, like I said, if there were an injury to occur or, you know, if somebody, somebody were to fall flat or, you know, whatever the next over the next week, I definitely uh, wouldn't count him out as far as, you know, make, making the roster because I, I think he's i think he's i think like like you said he kind of reminds me a little bit of ward and mcphee a little bit he's he's as heavy as mcphee but it's the same kind of positional versatility that you saw from ward and yeah i mean he's up there pretty close to 270 i want to say he weighs about 266 or something like that i mean that's big enough to play inside on a passing down in the nfl you wouldn't want to be a lot smaller than that but but that's big enough uh exciting player and and you know he's a seventh year player so he will play somewhere in the nfl after the preseason he's had if the Ravens cut him, uh, you know, I think he's, I believe the rules are he's a veteran. He can sign with anybody as opposed to mm-hmm. going through a waiver process. So he'll, he'll play somewhere, but, uh, uh, but it would look pretty good, I thought. Uh, who's your guy? Uh, another guy at outside linebacker. Um, I like. Uh, I thought. I thought Odafe Owe had a, had a pretty decent game. Like, um, like he was mostly situational pass rusher, as you as you noted in the in the notes. But I thought he had. I thought he had a solid game. Nothing, you know, too spectacular. He had a, p- a few good pressures that I saw. But um, overall, like I said, he he didn't, he didn't look bad out there. Um, there was one time he kind of got. I wouldn't say tripped up, but I guess the screen to the right sideline where he kind of got, you know, uh, his feet tangled up a little bit. But one of his other right. teammates came with the cleanups. Yeah, he was, uh, uh, I got to remember on Oway, if he got caught inside on Montero, is he the one who did it? Or am I thinking wrong here? Um, like was it a, okay. on, on, on the yeah. run? On the it, was, long it was on the long screen past the left side, either 34, 35 yards. 
Yeah, it, it is. He was caught inside by Montero. That's what it was. He went for an inside pass rush move. He had responsibility on that side. In fact, Nolan was talking about him having responsibility. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there are people who think that Elliott was responsible for that play. I don't see it that way at all. Elliott was out there, you know, with two on one trying to try to stop that. It's got to be the edge defender who, who makes a play on that screen pass. Yeah, luckily Elliott was there to stop before a nine yard for a, just like a nine yard gain because it definitely could have got could have got a lot more um, had he not been there. It's like the last I, I think this is the one that went for thirty five. That I'm oh, the one that went thirty five. Yeah, it was Q Q one seven sixteen. It was it was Hubbard. Oh, the one that Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, I thought the whole defense kind of got kind of kind of got uh, caught slipping on that one, but um. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because there were those the yeah, those two screens, but um. Thank God for Elliott. I know we'll get to him later, but Elliott had a had a great game. What a, what a great game from Elliott. Um. Uh, so I was okay with Oweyla. I thought it was a little bit of an up and down game, honestly. I don't think we've seen his best yet. I think it's going to be a slower process for him to develop than what we think. I don't think the lights go on all at once. I think the you know individual Christmas tree lights are going to come on kind of one at a time in terms of his game, and hopefully it it, it becomes significant when we're uh, when we get to the end of the season here. Yeah, I definitely think things are kind of clicking for Hayes quicker than they are for Owe right now. Right. All right, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Jalen Ferguson, who I thought had another outstanding game here. It's two in a row, and to stack games like this is important. I don't think there's any any way the Ravens will cut him. I guess it is still possible they would trade him. I would say I think the Ravens will, will keep six and not five outside linebackers. I think outside linebackers are so very important to them that they'll keep six to make five. I guess it, the real guys on the bubble right now are Smith, and you know what? I mean, I think it's possible McPhee is on the bubble. Not because they, they don't want to play with him, but because I think they might try and cut him and, and then sign him back. Yeah, I, I love what I saw from, from Jalen Ferguson. I've been saying for the past couple of weeks, I'm like, Sack Daddy has finally showed up. I mean, this guy has been you know playing with his, with his hair on fire out there. He's been making good plays in run defense, getting good good consistent pressure. Like, not just the occasional pressure. I mean, that guy's like crashing off yeah. the edge time and time and time again. He's generating, generating good pressure, and then he's even making some plays at or a little past the line of scrimmage. Yeah, really nice uh, block shedding we've seen from Ferguson during this. I mean, most bull rushers kind of have that to a degree because they, they have to be able to get their hands extended. And if anyone's going to be able to shed a block, it should be a, a, a defensive ed, edge setter uh, guy. But uh, anyway, he's, he is, he's been exactly that. Uh, had a real nice play against the run on the right side in this game uh, where he pushed the, pushed the defender back a couple of yards, then tossed him off, made the tackle right there. Uh, just it's just been a wonderful preseason for him, and I, I I hope that he can take this what he's doing, which has been by the way not all against grocery baggers. Because you think about it, the second half they only had 15 defensive snaps. Ferguson got most of his snaps in the first half. He was in starting on the second drive. And, uh, you know, he, he just he played very well and consistently well in this one. Yeah, I've been really impressed with the way, like like you said, his block shedding, but like the way he's been using his power, not just bull rushing, but like I said, block, block shedding, kind of pushing, like blowing up plays before they can get developed or kind of like disrupting the timing of plays for opposing offenses. I thought that's been really nice by him. Okay. Uh, we move on to inside linebacker, but Josh Soroka, uh, as we hear our hearing Positional groups come up. Do you want to interject with questions whenever you want, or do you want to just uh, let us go for a little bit here? Uh, I'm going to let you guys go, and I'm going to collect them as we go, so uh, we'll be set for the end. I've got a few in here. Um, so I know there's a lot of conversation about Patrick Queen. So that's Okay, so let's I'm move sure on to inside linebacker. Dig into him. So, Josh, you go ahead and start us off. Who would you like to talk about? 
I guess we could start off with um, with the, you know the big man in the middle. I guess not really big man, but you know the most notable name and Patrick Queen. Um, I was I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was surprised to see that both him and Harrison kind of played. I think they played the, pretty much the entire first half, didn't they? Uh yes, I have a sheet that has that. But yes, they played basically yeah. the entire first half. But yeah, because I, I saw him like well into Q two, and I was like, okay, so I guess they're trying to really you know get his wind up. Because I remember he was saying how tired he was after like a couple drives last week. So I think they're really trying to like, you know get him an extended look and some more experience, kind of help get that get that wind up for in, in the live game action. So I thought I thought he played okay. That was one position where the Ravens do retire players sequentially. So they played they played Harrison and Queen in the first half. Fort got in one snap and unfortunately got injured right at the end of the half. And then they played the uh, the other guys, uh, Board and Welch, for the entire second half. So they got good extended trials, in a sense, <laughs> in terms of series. They only each played 15 plays, but uh, they did some good things. Uh, but yeah, going back to Queen, I thought he played real fast, real physical. Um, like to, he was flying around sideline to sideline, like the typical things you see see him do. Um, uh, as far as him in coverage, I did think he got he got lost a couple times. You know, as far as like you know, like letting things happen in front of him or you not know, not really being in the best position to make the play. But overall, I thought he had a solid solid outing. Yeah, I, I, there were a couple of really bad plays. Woodson called him out for the third and eleven conversion that went to Smith. Uh, and there's a lot of things happening on that play that might have tossed you off, but but uh, it was a case of Averett and Warrior appeared to be out of position somehow, but the point that Woodson made was, no, that's kind of a clear out, and he needs to continue to carry that route further uh, You know, with the, with the combination of routes. That's the sort of thing that just is still not in his thing. He understands downhill play. I need to cover that running back. He understands wheel route play where he needs to cover that running back and continue on him. He probably can understand covering a tight end in man because it's just not that complicated. But bunch formations and things we have to figure out multiple uh, releases from the line of scrimmage are where he's still having trouble. So we've got to hopefully have that click at some point this year. I know it's uh, it's it's a difficult thing to learn, but for, for Queen, it's it's one of the key things that's going to make him an effective player. Yeah, and and that's um that's I think I think the Rex Ryan uh, not Rex Ryan Rob Ryan is going to work on him with after you know reviewing film from this game because that he didn't have a huge sample size from the first game but he got said he he played pretty much the entire first half so I think they're going to go back to the um to the drawing board this week and like hey look look you still got to you know get good depth on here you got to like you said carry this carry this over there so I think um I think they'll I think they'll I wouldn't say have it all cleaned up by the time the regular season rolls around but I think he'll he'll continue to improve in that area of his game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's probably one of the ones that's very difficult because it's very chalkboard translation to field stuff. Uh, I, I if ever I would trust somebody to kind of make it be able to visualize it better, it would be Ryan. The two of them have been working together at camp a lot, and Ryan kind of will go around and he'll place a towel on the field. He's almost like a comical kind of a character walking around anyway. The way he does, uh, this towel is a tight end, and then he's just like it's it's too much effort for him to exactly describe what's going on, but he. But he kind of talks about it, and then he'll walk to a different spot. And uh, you know, if I think that the, the goal is to get Queen to visualize what's going on with multiple receivers and have him try and understand what his responsibility is from that. But since Queen has been exempted from some special teams drills or hasn't been on all of them, uh, he might not be on special teams at all this year. Ryan's had more time to work with him, which I think if if they could find a way to do it, like getting him out of special teams. Great way to get an extra 20 to 30 minutes of, of, of practice time or alone time with Ryan or with other other positional coaches that can really help him there. Yeah, um, yeah I remember I read about him like 
uh, his in his one of his uh, his post game presser from last last weekend talking about how the you know the game slowing down for him and how Devin White told him that's a key as far as his progression from his year, making the big leap for year one and year two. So I definitely think I as I love as much as I love you see him play fast and physical. I want to see that game kind of slow down for him even more to where like you don't always have to fire off like you know you got two rockets up your butt like as Chris Kim Sims would say. But <laughs> you know just kind of like let it come to you and then also like you know be like a real tentative when you're back there in coverage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. But Queen, well, you brought up, I guess. Well, the, last last thing with Queen while you yeah. guys are there. Taylor is asking specifically about the missed tackles mm-hmm. and between uh, practice and these two games. Have you seen enough to think that he's going to be able to clean that up from last year? Oh yeah, yeah. Most most certainly, he's been he's been flying around making making a whole bunch of tackles. I I like him better as a tackler this year, but I st- I'm still not sure. Josh is it would be my answer is that um, he he's he's he does some things well. Uh, you know, anytime he's going downhill, he's more likely to be able to make a tackle on a sack on that screen pass we saw last week. Um, I I just I don't think he's been perfect. He did wrap up very well at the goal line with Elliott on that key stop. Uh, you know, you know early on that first drive, but uh, you know it's in level two. You know, how well does he wrap up on a receiver? How well does he wrap up on somebody who's got the ball in front of him? I don't know that we've really seen that yet. And and I, I want to hope that it will be better, but it was so bad last year. But the most I can say is that he's going to improve some because he was so bad at it. Yeah, I think like because like in the preseason, a lot of teams aren't really airing the ball out a whole lot, you know. So like you know, you don't really get to see like him as far as you know in in chase mode a lot of the times uh, that kind of tackling. But um, like I said, when he's when he's coming downhill, uh, he rarely misses any, he rarely missed any tackles these past few weeks. So I think I think I've seen some improvement from him. Uh, I think I like the way he's been wrapping up, and as far as te- technically sound tackling, he's been pretty good. All right. Uh, how about we talk about Harrison? He had a pretty good game. Uh, four tackles, two defensive wins among those. He had a couple that were on passes far down the field where he, where he made plays. Decent game, to be sure, uh, from him. Where do you see him on the roster this year in terms of how the Ravens use him? I mean, now with LJ, LJ Fort loss for the year, I think he's going to be the, the starting starting will linebacker. Um, I think him and Queen are going to be on the field a lot. Um I'm with, okay, let me retract the statement. I don't know if they're going to be on the field a lot just because I think they like their safety depth better now than they did coming into this preseason. So I think we could see a return to the dime, which I'm, I still anticipate with, with Fort gone, I still anticipate, you know, L, um, Malik Harrison's, like, you know, snap count to go to go way up, but not as drastically up as we, you know, previously thought or if he would have just won the job outright, you know. So I definitely think they're going to be impl- uh, utilizing more safeties uh, going forward than, than just two linebacker sets. Right. I, I, in some ways, safeties aren't stealing any of the snaps that Harrison would have anyway, because Harrison isn't really a candidate to be on the field on, on uh, obvious passing situations. The guy who could lose snaps to the safeties is, is Board for one, and Queen for a second, because uh, those two guys can be replaced either one or both with the dime or quarter package if the Ravens bring it on and put two safeties on or a safety in a corner if they want to do that. Let's talk about let's talk about the Fort's loss here for a little bit because it's obviously it's a huge loss for special teams. But do you think that there's a, a ripple impact to what happened here? Do you think that other positions and one of the players that just me going through it mentally that might be impacted by this is Levine? 
Yeah, and that um, uh, so I didn't mention that in um, in when I did the report on it for Baltimore Beatdown earlier today. But I definitely think Anthony Levine could be one of the business, biggest benefactors in a you know in, in a good way from this. But I think that he really could. I mean, they're playing him at safety in this game with Fort now gone. I really think he can return to more of a you know like a dime back a role like exclusively like where he can play just like in the box. I thought he played real well in the box. I didn't see a whole lot from him as far as like that I like in coverage. You know when he's playing deep safety, but I definitely think of Levine it can be a bit a big, big benefactor in this. Um, a guy like Christian Welch, um, who's pretty, I wouldn't say he's a pretty much a lot to make the roster now, but I, uh, unless they convert Anthony Levine to a linebacker full-time, I think a guy like Christian Welch can help offset some of the loss of special teams along with Anthony Levine. Right. I think, I think the issue is that they're probably down about, you know, a couple core special teamers between Fort and who they know they're going to have to cut. Uh, and that's probably going to include a player like Richards. I don't see him making the team. And he's obviously one of your core players on special teams. Uh, if, if they had to cut Welch or they had to cut now Levine at this point, you're really talking about a pretty thin unit. They'd have to, they'd have to work to figure out who's going to play what. And, you know, they could probably do it between, you know, tight ends and, you know, the additional corners they'd have. And, you know, people like Wade or Washington playing special teams. But it's, it's, it's much more difficult to, to try and assemble that special teams unit from scratch you know, a week before the season <laughs> than it would be otherwise. Yeah, and so I, I, I also uh, noted that uh, I think it might include uh, an uptick in Chris Board's snaps as well, not just on special teams where he's been a core special teamer, but also on defense and that kind of, if, if they do decide to rotate, you know, him with Malik Harrison more in the regular season, I think I think Chris Board can see an uptick in his um, playing time. I don't see, if Walsh does make the roster, I don't see him making much more, of, you know, if, if any impact on defense, but I definitely think um, as far as um, Ford's absence and also like he was their best coverage line inside linebacker last year so from that from that standpoint oh, yeah. I, yeah i think i think they're like I said, we've seen some pro- progressions from patrick queen but i, I think um, losing fort's going to be a, a tough blow right you do mean fort and not board was the best coverage linebacker yeah right fort year. yeah fort absolutely yeah i mean it's just there's no comparison he's the only one who really understands the route combinations going on behind him but i, I agree and i i think board is going to have a difficult time more difficult time getting getting defensive snaps this year with what they have at safety. I just think, you know, if you could Malik Harrison seems like a much more reasonable choice on the early downs to play with Queen. And on third down, maybe Board is your only linebacker if you want to take Queen off the field. But otherwise, I, th- I find it hard to find the situation or to envision the situations, obviously, where Board plays instead of their best third safety option as that weak side linebacker or dive back in this case uh, next to queen. I mean, I just, I don't see it. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe you can squeeze out some snaps. I think the Ravens are in a perfect, perfect position to make the excuse that, Hey, board's too valuable to us on special teams to risk him playing defense at this point. And that might even be true. I mean, he's, he's the, the, you know, one of the best special teams players in the league. And certainly a guy they need to have with with the with the attrition they've had now on special teams. Yeah, I do think the one thing that Board does have going in his favor, he's a, he's a pretty good blitzer. Um, as far as like you know, bring bring blitz up the middle. So I mean, he could see some snaps on defense in that kind of capacity. But I definitely think we're going to see more playing time for for Harrison and uh, Levine if he ends up making the roster. All right, uh, I think I guess we've covered what we wanted to about Board. He did have a nice blitz to, I believe it was on the last play of the game. He blitzed, got the pressure. And the ball was tipped by Ardarius Washington, so it's nice to see him get a get a nice late pressure like that. Um, any change in how Welch makes it or not? Or I think we've covered it much. He's going to play special teams. If he makes the team, probably will not be a factor on defense. 
Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he'll probably see it. Maybe it more, no more than ten defensive snaps all year. Okay, that'd be my bet too. I mean, you play in some blowouts, maybe that's where yeah. we'll see him. Let's let's move on to safety. Um, so I think we can agree Clark and Elliott, who retired early, were both outstanding. I mean, Clark looked great. Clark was back in that dime back role up front. Man, is he natural there? He is. Just, he's such a dangerous weapon in that spot. And you know, we we were we gush. I gushed over Levine three years ago and how great his year was. And then Clark, the very next year, was even better. And uh, you know, just it, it, one of the biggest reasons to return to the dime isn't that Levine is going to get in in that spot. It's they're going to put in Brandon Stevens or Geno Stone on the back end, and they're all of a sudden going to have Clark running all over the field like crazy from that dime back spot. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I just think that the safety position as a whole has had a really good preseason. And um, like I said, uh, like Clark Clark had that had that really good play when he forced the fumble. And he just like he just like I said, he looks natural in that dime back in that dime back role. He just seems like that. I don't want to say that's where he like he best fits, but that's where he can kind of be the most impactful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a he's a first man of the ball kind of guy. Also, a second man of the ball kind of guy too, which I like both of those. Uh, but definitely a very good at uh, at finding the football on the ground. And, and you kind of like a guy like that in the box, even if they need him in the back end. Last year, they couldn't afford to not have him, you know, playing deep a fair amount. This year, they can they can afford to have two other guys who are probably better on the back end or just as good uh, knowing what they're doing and uh, and having Clark up front in that box on, on obvious passing downs to, to create that really dangerous dime that the Ravens had in 2019. Yeah, I think a guy like Geno Stone, if he makes the roster, could definitely uh, you know come in when um, when uh, when Clark goes into the box because even though Geno Stone didn't he hadn't necessarily a quiet game, he didn't have you know make the, make the same splash plays he did last week with two interceptions. But he, you could constantly see him; he was in the right place at the right time. He was always around the ball. He was always like you know wherever the quarterback was, you know like kind of looking off. He was going there, and I, I thought he had a pretty good. I thought he showed really good range, and he was like I said, even though he didn't make any splash plays or any you know plays, I think he had like one good. I don't know if he had a pass breakup or he had like a. A, a quick tackle pressure. yeah yeah pressure yeah but um yeah he, i just thought he looked real good and i just think if, whenever whenever you have either elliot or clark coming to the box you can bring stone on to the field and um, i remember i was talking about this uh, around this time last year when i was like as far as like predicting what what stone's role would look like in the ravens uh defense as a you know as, as a as a that dime back kind of that third safety coming on the field in the back end showing that range you know that that single high or too high and i think it was almost a, a year deferred so Maybe we're going to see that this yeah. year. So, um, a year and a release. <laughs> yeah, a year and a couple releases deferred. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I'm mean, so happy to have him back. It was one of the happiest days of the offseason when they got him back. And then to see him play, uh, you know, in the way he did in game one with that anticipating the overthrow kind of style that we haven't had on the back end in Baltimore. Because, you know, Elliot, he wants to close ground, period, on that defender. I don't want to go repeat everything I said last week, but I feel like I want to tell you, you know, because you're here, you're here this week. But he's, he's very good at allowing the overthrow to come naturally to him by either rebound or reacting once it get, gets past the receiver, you know, misaligned. So he, he, he does a very good job of adjusting to the football there. And that's, that's great to see because it's been a while since the Ravens have had that. Yeah, uh, yeah. speaking of Elliott, I mean – Player of the first half, player of the game, in my opinion. I mean, just that back-to-back sequence he had for uh, the the complete the goal line stand there on the on the first on the on like what the first their first drive of the game, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, the the biggest play of that series. Now, I, I think all everybody saw the sack. Everybody saw the stuff, and 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 I think people saw the tackle for minus two to end the drive. Mm-hmm. The other play I really loved when Darnold 
had about a six-second pocket, scrambled to the left, was looking all around. The Ravens had him all covered. He threw the ball away in the end. One of the things Stone did on that play was knock the tight end out of the back of the end zone so he was ineligible. And if you go back and look at that play, it's just a brilliant piece of football. Probably an illegal contact foul. I guess they considered the contact incidental, but it knocked that tight end 85, who is, by the way, Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold, Arnold was throwing to him. (laughs) So uh, Dan Arnold got knocked out of the back of the end zone there, and it was a, a very cool play. Yeah, I just I just love what I saw from from Joker um, last night. It was it was an exciting one of one of his best games I've seen from him. Like like not including the regular season. Yeah, I I, I uh, agree. Great game. How about Brandon Stevens? Starts at slot corner in the game, and uh, and then he played a fair amount of safety mostly in the second half. Uh, but he's really they they are not trying to reduce his versatility at all and, and have him play one position. There's a lot of that going on, by the way, on the Ravens. They're trying to reduce people to single positions, particularly this week, and I'm going to get to that more in the offensive show, but not at all in his case. They, they love that versatility. And they want to take advantage of it to play both slot and, and the back end on safety and possibly up in the dimeback role. Yeah, and I, th- I think the the role they envisioned for him is kind of what we heard that was something that Jimmy Smith might have played last uh, last season. Like, so I remember coming heading into the twenty twenty season, they were saying, "Oh yeah, Jimmy's going to play some safety. He's going to play some, you know, some 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 slot. He's going to play some of this. He's going to be matching up on tight ends." And like that's the kind of role that you see Stevens playing right now, especially in this game. Like, say he played in a slot. Uh, I think he played on both receivers and a tight end, if I'm not mistaken. And then he played some safety too. So I, I definitely think they're gonna, he's going to be that that defensive that defensive back chest piece back there in the back end oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that they just kind of use all over the formation. And um, like I said, he's going to primarily be a pre-safety, but I think he's going to be a, a matchup kind of guy for them too. Right. I, I hope it really does not stunt his growth because I don't think it was doing him any favors at SMU to have him used this way. They moved him over play by play. They moved him all over the field, outside corner, slot corner, safety. They had all these substitutions that would have been nightmarish in terms of trying to chart their games. Uh, in the defensive backfield. But anyway, uh, he was he was the primary guy who was the focal point of everything where he moved kind of, you know, triggered whatever other substitutions they had to make. Uh, He's a, a, you know, very interesting dude. But I hope they figure out if he's going to be the free safety, he probably needs to start playing free safety at a fairly early time in his career uh, to pick up the other free safety instincts that will be necessary to him in the NFL. Yeah, I, I definitely like what I saw from him um, all, all all night. Um, um, I, I, I just think he's going to be a real big factor in his, in his defense, real versatile piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Is there another safety we want to talk about? We talked about Levine. We talked about Stevens. Uh, Geno Stone, by the way, had a, had a defensive holding flag last night. It wasn't actually his, and it was actually on Warrior, who got run into at the top of the receiver's route. I forget who the receiver was here, but uh, but anyway, uh, Geno Stone was not the guy, and uh, and he, he he did not have a flag for that. Let's move on to cornerback. Uh, had some guys in the game uh, to start that were there, obviously only very briefly. Peters being it, uh, but but uh, Humphrey sat for the game, and I think more unfortunately, Tavon Young sat for the game. Um, yeah, um, I thought that was kind of weird. We didn't see Tavon, Tavon out there at all. Um, but it was, it was, it was good to see some of the snaps from the guys that we did see. I was a little surprised to see Nigel Warrior that pretty much at corner the entire game, but um, that they were working him in there at, at um, during training camp. So it, it was cool to see. Um, but as far as the other guys that um stepped up in Marlin's absence, I thought Anthony Averett had a had an okay day, kind of up and down some plays that you know were good, and some others that were 
you know, a little bad, but um, I think he had over. <laughs> you want to go to Averitt right away? Yeah, we, he's, we, been, he's, he's been great in camp, and he's really been good in the preseason of the first game. And he, and he, it, he had good plays in this game as, as well, but he had one of the worst plays you'll ever see, and I don't know exactly how he figured it out. He, the, the, they had a bunch formation right, the Panthers did, and so they've got one back and one receiver on the left side, and Averett uh, somehow went to the wrong side of the field. If you're going to look at this, look at Q2, 13, 14. It looks like Levine pointed back at the safety. And Averett interpreted that as go to the other side of the formation. As he goes to the other side of the formation, and two guys you don't normally associate with understanding the coverage that well, uh, you know, Harrison and Queen are telling him, wait a minute, you're supposed to be on that side, basically. <laughs> and by the time he got over there, he realized there wasn't really anybody for him to cover. What I thought was interesting about the play, you had Westry uh, converged on that play. Owe kind of helped to close it down. Minimized the gain to eight yards or something on the, on the pass that went to the right. It was a screen pass that went over that, went over there. But what was, what was uh, very interesting about it, I thought, was right after the play, Mike Nolan said, good coverage. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things. I, I obviously didn't didn't catch it as it was as it was going on. I wonder if Rod Woodson caught it or not. Yeah, um, I think he had another. I don't, I don't know if it was particularly on him. There's another one where um, they had like I was like, like like a fade up the right sideline where like Averitt and another defender were kind of just like I know they ran into each other, but had it been a better throw, it would have been a touchdown in the first half. I can't remember yes. what, which play that was, but I was like I was like yo, like who was supposed to carry him up the sideline? Like I don't yeah. know, like they're supposed to pass it off, but I know he was in on that play too. Um, he he made up a few good plays in run defense too, and you know coming he was played played in the slot a little bit. I noticed that too. Uh, he's lined up on the inside receivers so i thought overall he had a he had a he had a solid game mm-hmm. not the yeah, all, it, it, not the all pro that you know that the that wink martindale you know the he didn't see, see i didn't see the all pro potential but you know i saw some potential yeah i i, I really like anthony Averett, and, and it I, it should it should take a lot for the ravens to trade him but if they don't trade him they are going to lose somebody else who's at the at the margin of the roster whether that's westry or darius washington or somebody else and those guys do have four years, you know, so, well, Westry has three, but, but Washington has four years. And, and it's, it's going to be very difficult for the Ravens to pass up on that. You know, end of camp, there are always a lot of teams who need cornerbacks. So maybe you can address another position of depth need for the Ravens by, by trading a corner or, or even get a draft pick uh, would be something. I'm not really in favor of it. I would rather they just stick with their outstanding corner depth and use it during the season. Uh, but but it is an interesting question that they'll they'll be forced to make at uh, at some point is who do they cut and uh, and who do they keep? Yeah, if they don't trade Averett, I'm, I mean honestly, I don't know if he's like like I don't know if he's like you know like feeling the hype or drinking the Kool Aid as far as like you know everybody telling him he, he'd be he'd be you'd be a starting corner on another team you'd be a starting corner on the other team and when is he gonna be like well maybe I should go start for another team like even if the Ravens will offer me a fair contract if I have an opportunity to play in a more featured role or be a starter elsewhere I might just do that and you know I, I would say you know screw this place but you know he might just want to you know for, as far as with the best career trajectory for him it's not sitting behind Marlon and Marcus but actually going somewhere else and playing as a starter right. It's it's it is possible. I don't know what he you know what his agent is really telling him, what his family is really telling him about that. You know what he believes himself, what his confidence level is in that. Um, I, a lot of times, you know, these are young guys, and and they're almost more pushed by their family, by their agent in particular, to to do a certain thing. And I I, th- I hope his agent would advise him well 
And if there's a contract that came along from the Ravens, you know, three years, seven, seven and a half million kind of thing, uh, including this year, that he would look at it as, hey, that's a pay raise, that's security. Let's take that now and, and you know, not take a chance. And I think, there, you know, there'd be some divisible benefit for both sides to doing that. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, I want to, the guy I want to talk about is Tavon Young. And, and the reason is that, you know, Averett, they, they might be able to keep him if they can slip Tavon onto the roster. Well, okay, I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't think Tavon Young has shown that much clearly in the preseason games so far. But even in camp, he's, he's, he hasn't been invisible, but he hasn't made a lot of plays. And, you know, I, I just I don't believe we're seeing the same sudden athlete that we, we knew from 2018 when he was a hell of a player. Um, and and I, I really question whether or not the Ravens should go into the season with really just Tavon, even if they believe Stevens and Wade, say, give them excellent backup coverage at that position, whether it might not make sense to go into the season, immediately IR Tavon, who might or might not be right, but he'll, he, he can come back as early as week four under the current rules. And that allows you to get another guy then back onto the roster uh, and, and keep one of these other young corners. Yeah, just coming back from those like back to back injuries like that, you kind of wonder the kind of like long, long lasting effects it might have on a, on a player. You know, as far as like you know if he's struggling with any kind of drop foot or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I definitely would like to see a return of twenty eighteen to two thousand eighteen. Um, uh, Tavon, Tavon Young, because like I said, that guy was was excellent. Everything you saw Marlon Humphrey do in 2019, Tavon was doing the year before. So um, I definitely think of, of like he, like said, like they've been saying in the building, like you know he brings so much schematic flex- flexibility that you want to see him at his best. And if he's not at his best, you know, give him a little bit more time. The same patient approach you're taking with Ronnie Stanley, take it with Tavon Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that that sounds good to me. I mean, obviously they really wanted to see, I guess, what Tavon had here. They're not going to. They're not going to cut him because the cap implications. I don't think they can really eat this year. But they they might, you know, try and get him on IR. Uh, one key factor for the Ravens this year is just how many players do they have that nobody else will take if they cut them. And and they have a few. They have if they want Levine back. I I don't think there's another taker for Levine at this point in his career. McPhee. I really don't know. There have been some injuries at edge the last few days, including Carl Lawson. So, you know, it's a, it's a slight risk to let, you know, put McPhee out there and maybe have a team like the Bengals in division get him. That would be absolutely horrible. Now, McPhee is a veteran, so he can sign wherever he wants. He can't be, he can't be um, uh, taken by the Ravens. So presumably if they cut him, they'll have a wink-wink deal in place. But, the, but they do, they have several guys. Christian Welch is a younger player who they might be able to slip through waivers if they cut him. And, and he might be a guy that gives you a spot to get a guy to IR. And now, you know, starting the season, they've got at least Bateman. They're going to have to start on IR. I don't know how many others they have but, or that they want to get. But if Tavon would be a second, and they may have more, um, they may have three players that they can really uh, cut and then bring back uh, by their various methods uh, if they want to sneak three guys onto IR at the start, meaning not season-ending IR uh, on, on the week one roster. 
Yeah, I think Welsh is like a prime candidate for that kind of thing as far as a guy that can slip through waivers. I just feel like just like watching some of the other preseason games, there's so many good to decent, you know, out, like inside linebackers out there to like, like that you're not going to really, you know, oh, let me go sign this guy for waivers. I'll just, you know, let him clear and then, you know, bring him, bring him back. So I definitely just, there's a lot more linebackers out there playing better in the preseason than Christian Welch that the Ravens could actually get away with, um, you know, with um, put, subjecting him to waivers. So um, him, him, him could, he could definitely uh, be on that list. All right. Uh, who else would you like to talk about? Lots of corners here we haven't gotten into yet. Um, uh, Sean, Sean, Sean Wade. He had I saw he gave he gave up a, um, a catch for eight yards, but um, overall, like he mostly played in the second half, or he exclusively played in the second second half. I thought he had a, I thought he had a decent outing. A very very uh, light workload. He might have played ten snaps or something. I did not even see a target against him in the game, so maybe I've got that wrong. But uh, but I didn't record it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I thought the same thing, I think, as you did, that he basically, if you don't see him and he's an outside corner, probably a good thing. The guy who was really being picked on in the game was Warrior, and he still did pretty well, I thought, you know, in terms of, of defending passes. He got a big pass breakup on third down to end a drive, uh, made some other nice plays against the run. He did run into a receiver where he was called for defensive holding. I, I think it was kind of ticky-tack, but, but it was what it was. Uh, you know, all in all, you know, not a bad game from from Warrior at all. Probably is not a threat to be on the roster, but certainly a guy you want on the practice squad, from my point of view. Yeah, I thought Warrior was was played real real good, like near the line of scrimmage. Like I said, he had, I think he had two TFLs, and they they was like they look like he looked like he played, came in from his old safety spot and just like fired in there and cut the receiver off at at, at, at the knees. So I like that. And then that um that that. Pass breakup you're talking about came on the um on the first drive of the second half for the Panthers where he kind of just like dove in front of the pass and um mm-hmm. and, and deflected that so I thought that was pretty good because I don't think he's um you know has a like I don't think he has a great shot of making the um making the 53 but I definitely think he's a prime practice squad candidate again once again this year. Yep. How about how about Westry and got beat off of the top once on the on the right sideline. Otherwise, I thought he looked really good. He and Richards were both in the same spot. The TV angle was not good. Honestly, I couldn't tell who got the PD. It looked like Westry was the underneath guy on a ball fairly far downfield, but Richards was credited with the PD, so I'll, I'll trust that the game books got it right. Uh, Westry had another good play uh, uh, earlier in the game as well, um, and uh, and it had a PD that was, is he the one who had the physical PD? Uh, no. I, I, what I, what, his use of the sideline was a point yeah, I wanted to make about that's, Yeah, that's what I was going to go with. I thought I was going to go with next, though. One on the Chai Smith that went out, that he caught out of bounds, but the fact yeah. that he was able to um, use the boundary to kind of keep him, like, push him out of bounds. So I thought that was a great use of the sideline, especially for a big guy. Like, after you got beat down, down that same sideline earlier in the game, you're going to use it as your friend later on in the game. So I thought you saw, like, that in-game growth from him. Yeah, very, very good point. He, and he had coverage of Omar Bayless, uh, Q4-13-23, if you look at that play. Uh, he was overthrown uh, 10 yards on the right sideline again, and, and Westry had very tight coverage on that play. And Any time that Westry, with those long arms, is in the same vicinity of a receiver, you probably know that the quarterback is impacted in terms of his throwing decision, in terms of I need to put this just a little bit more out front of this receiver. I need to put this a little higher to get it over Westry. I need to avoid his enormous catch radius somehow. But uh, yeah, he's he's a he's an imposing physical corner, uh, and he's imposing not just to the receiver. He's imposing to the quarterback. 
Yeah, like when you see him out there, you're like, God, who's who's power forward is that out here playing playing <laughs> playing cornerback? Like this guy is huge. He's lanky. Like I said, that 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 aircraft carrier kind of kind of cornerback that the Ravens love and yep. covet. There you go. Always love to talk about that. Okay, I think that's pretty much everybody we covered. Ardarius Washington. We didn't talk about Ardarius Washington. Finished the game with a nice PD. Reminded us all he's still in the building there. Uh, You know, he's looked so good now in two games. Uh, He did have a tackle on a screen cast also, by the way. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong player here. Uh, He had one on special teams. Yeah, yeah, on on special teams. That was pretty good. And he stopped somebody inside the 20 on that play, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was inside the twenty on the um, on the right sideline. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought um, I thought Darius Washington. I thought he had a solid game and limited snaps. You know, I think he only played in the second half exclusively too. But um, mm-hmm. I like what I saw from him. You know, limited snaps and coverage, and then the fact that he could show that he could be a presence on special teams as well, um, both well in his favor too. Do you think? Do you think Ardarius Washington is definitely claimed by another team somewhere if the Ravens cut him? Oh yeah, most definitely. He was one of the guys that, like you know, to coming up, coming out of college, the only only knock on him was his size. Everything else, people loved about him. He was one of PFF's you know highest ranked safeties in in the draft, and then and you know post draft, everybody's kind of scrambling to um you know try to sign him. But you kind of have to, he's he's one of those priority undrafted free agents that you got to pay the big bucks to in order in order to get him to come. But I think he knew that you know Baltimore was going to be the best place for him as far as like not just positional growth, but like you know they actually they don't care where you draft in Baltimore like if you can if you can play if you can ball they're going to find a roster spot and a role for you on their team so I, I definitely think that um he made the right decision and hopefully the Ravens make the right decision and try to trying their best to hold on to him yeah I mean I, I I certainly hope so too and and it it could be a situation I I know everybody wanted him for camp I know that there were a whole bunch of teams trying to sign him there were teams you know scared off by 462 also it wasn't just the you know the size was a little bit of a problem and and uh, I I think the 462 is a problem for a lot of teams and a lot of a lot of GMs out there but the, but the fact of the matter is a lot of teams loved him for camp I don't know that if you put him out there on waivers and somebody has to put him on their roster if they would feel the same way about it and 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 you know they have to cut somebody else so they actually have to have a shortage probably at slot corner because I don't really see another obvious position that he fits could he play nine back for somebody maybe but but it, it, he's the position where he'd be obviously good is at slot corner yeah well you know you know what you always got to be worried of them of those, those new york jets you know with um with joe <laughs> douglas up there like you know they, they have they have a dearth of talent in second in their secondary as is so whatever whatever the raven scraps they might get rid of you might see them starting for the jets you know that is a really good point high probability of that Let's uh, continue on. How about defensive uh, defensive MVPs in this game? Uh, Hayes, uh, Ferguson, and Elliott, and Clark for me. <laughs> okay, I didn't. I, I put Elliott in the group, but Elliott I had as the first. Hayes second, and Ferguson third. Uh, you know, I, oh, I was <laughs> okay. So I, I didn't have them in, in order. Those are just you know the guys who stood out to me the most. Okay, that's okay. We got the same guys. That's fine. We don't need to talk about it. Is there is there a player? Who you think made the biggest move towards a roster spot in this game? 
Roger Washington for 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 sure. I mean, as far as like you know, bubble guys, like I said, he had a he had a, he had a pretty good outing last week, but then came back with this week. And like I said, those, those hustle plays are really to me what kind of you know stood out over 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 just you know regular line of scrimmage plays. The fact that this guy was making you know plays you know down downfield or you know sideline to sideline, um, I think will speak volumes towards you know as far as the Ravens' consideration for him keeping him on the roster. Yeah, that, that's a great selection. My guy, I think my guy would be Ferguson still because. I, obviously, it's still a six to make five situation. We hope we hope they keep six, you know, outside linebackers because they certainly have are seven deep in terms of talent. If you include Chris Smith, uh, but I, th- I, I really hope they find a way to keep Ferguson. And, and I think this gives them this this game gives them what they need to know about him that I think they probably will. So I thought it was a pretty big move for him. I guess I could also say Christian Welch because of the Ford injury. Obviously, really opens a big door for him. Yeah, I, I see. I, I thought that Ferguson was, I wouldn't say he was on the outside looking in, you know, coming into the preseason, but I know he was like definitely on the edge of the bubble. He wasn't quite on the bubble, but he was like getting pushed towards the bubble, especially after the Houston signing. But I think he's played with these last few weeks have definitely kind of like, I would say cemented his spot on the team, but like, okay, look, we're starting to see this, what we saw you know, in 2019, coming into the draft from this dude. Like I said, Sack Daddy's finally starting to show up here, and um, it's looking real encouraging for him the past few weeks. Really been exciting to see him play as as well as he has in this preseason. Tell you what, Josh, let's do some mailbag stuff right now. What do we got? Yeah, just a couple questions. Um, uh, is Josh? This is from Mr. Ed, is wondering if Josh Oliver's fumble is a result of the peanut punch. <laughs> uh, certainly not a very good job securing the football. Honestly, I wasn't really all that impressed with Oliver's play in this game. I know he had 10 targets and seven catches, but he had problems not only securing the ball on that, but any kind of bad ball he had, he had some difficulty securing, including one that was a little bit high. Uh, so, you know, a lot of his catches were right at the line of scrimmage and basically not contested catches in a big way. They were, they were, these boot plays where the edge defender has to make a choice, but he's, you know, his role is to go after the quarterback and Oliver is the guy who's available on that, on that first level. Uh, I, I honestly, Oliver hasn't made that play down the middle of the field. He hasn't made that play that beats play action yet. That gets me real excited about who he is as a receiver. Yeah. And that's what I'm waiting for too, with Oliver. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting to see that, that, that seam stretching route that, you know, that, that red zone target where he kind of goes up and like mosses the dude in the end zone. Everything that I'm seeing now are little shallow catch and run plays where he gets maybe four mm-hmm. or five yards. So he can shake the defender or doesn't get hit right away. So, um, I, as far as that, that Pacific play, I thought it was a little bang, bang, you know, Steve Smith on the printed broadcast was saying, Oh yeah, he made an athletic move. Mm-hmm. Barely, like the guy, like he didn't, he didn't even, he even plant a second foot into the ground before you know the ball came out. But for me, he had one foot down and then bam. Um, but um, yeah. one foot, one step, questionable on the move, but probably had the move. Yeah, probably. Like it was, it was bang bang. I, I feel like in the regular season, it may it may not have been called or fumbled, but who knows? Yeah, they didn't challenge it, which is a little interesting. But I guess Harbaugh not really wanting to throw the flag on the refs in the preseason. Though he wants to win in every other way, so why yeah. not? <laughs> All right, what else you got for us, Josh? Well, Brad's wondering about your thoughts on the move of Warrior to an outside corner. As a guy who wasn't especially fast on his pro day, it seems like an odd move to move a college safe way to cornerback. Very odd. And this is one of the things I wanted to be careful about reporting from camp because he was playing on the outside and, and wasn't playing safety. And I'm like... Okay, they tell you not to give up positional alignments as one of the things. So don't give up scheme things from camp. And I, I'll talk about it in only a very general sense or maybe allude to the fact that, hey, a lot of people are out. So 
some new people are getting time at corner and this and that, but but it's not something I really want to want to talk about. In any case, Warrior surprised the hell out of me that he was at the outside corner when I saw it in camp. How about you, Josh? Yeah, that definitely did. I think it's more of a more of a um a factor of them trying to get other guys uh, uh, reps at safety, both in practice and in games. They're like they still want to have you know give Warrior reps somewhere. Like, uh, well, like let's just try him out at outside corner. You know, kind of has decent size, but like I think it's more of a reflection of that they want to get other guys snaps. Okay, now that's a great point, and here's my here's my counterpoint to this is that I don't know why you have to play Levine four series on the back end at safety. And they've done that like each of the first two games. Does that make any sense? He will never play there. And, and you know, it'd have to be, I, I don't know how many Ravens would have to be hurt before Levine is playing the back end for this team. Yeah, I was, I was like, what is he doing 20, 30 yards off, 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 you know, from the line of scrimmage? He needs to be in the box or at the <laughs> line. Like, what, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, it's, it's, if if the if the position possibly has back end responsibilities, you're really giving something up. Dev Levine back there, very heady player, great short area zone co- guy. Blitzes the the passer well, knows how to put his shoulder into a running back. Does good things in the run game with that. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of ways he can help you playing that dime back role, but he can. He's he's way past the point where he could play deep safety for you. Even his. And, you know, I was gonna say even his backpedal didn't look natural anymore. Like when he was like when they when they when they snapped the ball, he kind of like looked a little awkward back there, trying to you know go back. I think he's a better player, you know, kind of going forward or laterally than he is going backwards. I mean that that certainly makes sense. I I I I, I love Levine the player. I think it's just it's going to be a real challenge for the Ravens to find the spot for him. I think his chances improved with Ford out because they need him more than ever to basically realign those special teams units as appropriate, particularly the punt, the punt return unit. Um, they really need him. Uh, but, but anyway, I, I, I think it's going to be a real challenge to, uh, uh, to keep him on this roster. All right. So uh, final question this week. Well, looking, I guess, I guess it's this week is Saturday is the final preseason game with only three this year. How much does three affect the, uh, things differently this year on what happens in the games rather than the normal four preseason games? I'll start, I guess. It's, I think the biggest difference to me is the amount of time they have between the third game and the beginning of the season. So there's time to repair, you know, that minor injury that might occur. Not, not anything serious. You know, obviously you don't want to sprain an ankle or a high ankle sprain or any of that crap that might keep you out eight weeks. But if, if you have an injury that, you know, might take you a week to heal, uh, I think you maybe go a little further to taking a chance with a player um, that's starting so you can see the cohesiveness of the offensive line, say, for one series to see maybe if Ronnie Stanley can put in a series uh, next game. Might not happen or, or it might. I, I, you know, he was in pads uh, for, a, for a practice against Carolina. I don't know how many 11 on 11 reps he got there, but he but he was there and in pads. Um, as far as like, like say, the, for me, it really is like the playing time allocation. I feel like anybody who's like even even dealing with like a slight nick up might not play. Like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're gonna unwrap Ronnie until it's until until week one. Um, even if like I said, but um, I just think I think think uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the Ravens are gonna treat the third preseason like they normally do the fourth preseason game. And uh, in most years, I think you might actually see you know quite a few starters get a little a little more run than they normally would. But then, then again, I feel, I feel like it might also be the quite opposite. They might be like, you know, we're good, you know, as far as like who we who we 
who we we have making the roster, but I think they really love playing their back of the roster guys in that last few preseason game just to really see what they can have. And like a guy like Michael Pierce, all those years ago, he made the team against the Saints just by having that really big game. And like the final, the fourth preseason game that year, mm-hmm. he came out as undrafted free agent. So they really want to give those back of the roster, bottom of the roster guys every opportunity they can to prove themselves. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that than we are going to see of starters getting limited reps in the third game. Fair enough. No Lamar Jackson, would you would you say in game three? Uh, depending on the state status of the offensive line, I think all that's really tied into the offensive line. Um, I d- I just think of you know if Ronnie's healthy enough, or if you have like you know Ben Ben uh Ben Cleveland back all the way, and you know I thought I thought Zatler played played decent um on on mm-hmm. Saturday. I think if you have I think if you have mostly the line intact, I think you might see Lamar for a series or two. Um, maybe even just one if it goes well, but I think it all depends on like how the offensive line is looking that week. And if it's not looking too great, or if they still need some more time to heal and to kind of gel, we won't see them. All right, I, I think I think that's all a lot of wisdom that I really agree with. So I'm not going to try to respond to it. Josh, really appreciate having you on the show as we always do. Uh, you'll be back during the season at least once or twice. I think I, we've got you on the schedule. Yeah, I think and once a, for sure, and, and twice tentatively. I think you said the Miami and uh, I think Denver. Okay. Well, fair enough. I'm looking forward to it again. Always enjoy talking football with you, buddy. Uh, Josh, anything else we need to plug while we're here? Uh, well, I mean, I was going to ask you a non-Ravens question. Feel because, uh, because John Harbaugh, we know, and we know how NFL coaches are. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to give you up anything. And as you guys were talking about injuries and time to repair, makes me think about Carson Wentz. Do you think <laughs> the Colts are being a little deceitful, trying to let the media run with the story that he could be out all year or mo- or a big chunk of the year only to now turn out that he might be ready by week one. I, I don't have a sense, honestly, if that's true or not, but it's not like Carson Wentz is Pat Mahomes. You know, you know right. if you have a league average NFL quarterback and he might be even a little bit below that at this point in his career, I don't think like being deceitful with that is like, Oh, you don't know. I might have a seven here in my hand. You know, it's, it's really not a scary, uh, uh, you know, a scary yeah. proposition either way. I mean, as an exercise science major, um, like I said, I, I've, I've studied a whole lot of injuries and rehabilitation processes and all that. And when they came out with that, it was like five to what well, would say like five to like twelve week injury that you know, like as far as like how how long can you be out? Um, I think they give themselves that because you never really know how certain guys are going to respond to 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 surgeries or or to the rehabilitation process. Like you know, Quentin Nelson had the same had the same kind of injury, and they're already talking about him, you know, returning to the field here pretty soon. So certain guys respond to things different. Um, I think I don't think they're being deceitful. They're kind of just like giving themselves a lot of wiggle room to work with. And if he comes back, you know, sooner, they're going to look, look, this guy's his he's tenacious in his rehab, and you know. He's putting this injury stuff behind him. And if he takes a little bit longer, he's like, well, we just wanted to be real safe and real careful. So I just think you kind of give yourself that big. Does John Harbaugh do a disservice to his players to seemingly always understate injury severity? I don't think so. I just think he goes off what he's told, like right when it, something happens, and then like people are like, oh, Harbaugh, you lied to us, dude. I didn't know. They told me that it doesn't look serious, or it looks like like the thing with LJ Fort on Saturday. He said it doesn't look good because that's what he was told. And lo and behold, torn ACL. So I, I think I think he tries his best to be truthful, but also it's not his obligation to inform people like to make medical decisions like you know look i didn't go to ex- i didn't go to school for exercise physiology or you know for kinesiology how am i supposed to know if the if this guy's uh, crucial ligament is still intact or not you know so who knows <laughs> all right fair enough and he's also he definitely it is his job to 
keep information away from other teams and keep the competitive advantages for the Ravens. So I just, I, I, I find like there's a general trend of understatement of injury duration with the Ravens that I look at the, at the Bateman injury and I say, you know, my over under on him returning, not knowing anything about these situations, but only gambling the information uh, pipeline here is that he'll be back about November 1st. You know, it's, I, I, we've, it four to eight week injury or whatever it was, you know, could in theory be back at the end of September. The people who think that I think aren't really guessing correctly. One, how the Ravens are likely to be careful with it. And two, how the Ravens are likely probably understating the severity of the thing. Yeah. So I, for, with, with Bateman, you saw, I don't know if you guys saw the video of him, like, you know, kind of jogging, catching, you know, catching little lollipop passes or whatever. And like, that's, that's good to see. And that's, you know, encouraging and all. When you think about the kind of receiver that he is, like, you know, the, 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 the route technician and, and how you have, how you have to plant and push off of those foot and, you know, those, those violent cuts in and out of breaks and in and out of routes, you're going to, you're going to want that growing to be fully intact. You're going to want that. You're not, you're not going to, well, this is not a guy who's just specialized in nines and go. You know, this is a guy who needs all of his, you know, mobility down there, the range of ocean in order to do his uh, job at the best of his ability. So um, I think they're going to be um, overly cautious with it. I, I, I hate the Rashad Perriman, you know, thing, but I don't, I don't think they're going to try to push him. I think that's where they, they kind of messed up with Brayton and Bateman in the first place. They're, you know, he, he was already dealing with some tenderness and soreness. I guess some of the reports were, and, they, you know, he tried to push it a little bit. And, you know, lo and behold, you shouldn't have pushed it. But um, I think that, um, I think that, you know, he's going to, they're going to be overly cautious with it and that i don't know about november but i definitely think as earliest earliest would be october okay all right fair enough all right well uh all right make sure you get in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag so we can get to them uh this is i guess baltimore beatdown week on uh film study as tomorrow we'll be joined by vass also from baltimore beatdown to take a look at the offense yep looking forward to that vass always uh a uh, terse but extremely wise uh, uh, Ravens analyst, and I love to talk football with him as well. Yeah, I, lo- I love Voss. He's great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Josh. All right, thanks for having me. Go Tyson Williams. <laughs> talk to you next time on Film Club. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.